It's a warm summer's day. You've been working hard out in the sun. You reach over to find something to cool you off and crack open a beer. Odds are you've just opened up a lager. Crisp and refreshing are today's buzzwords. Or maybe they aren't. Today we're getting into lagers. How they look, how they're made, and most importantly, how they taste. So come in and have a drink. Welcome to Have a Drink, the show where you learn along with us about the glorious drink called beer. I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. And I'm Casey Price. So actually, the difference here today is uh, Christopher does not have much of a voice uh, at all. Wait, Chris isn't here? <laughs> uh, he'll hopefully be well enough for the next episode. Uh, but until then, Casey was awesome enough to fill in those shoes for us. Hey, thanks, guys, for inviting me in. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> That's what she said. Um, yeah, no, uh, we're glad to have you. It's always always fun to hear from Casey. Uh, we'll probably get into a couple couple things about what he's brewing, but I, didn't something happen last week that, like, wasn't all last week, like, National Logger Day? <laughs> National Logger Day was, in fact, all last week, yeah. All uh, last week. Woo! So uh, Thursday, December 10th, 2015, was National Logger Day here in the U.S. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't actually get out to get a logger. Like, we noticed it as it was, like, 6 o'clock, and I was like, damn it. <laughs> I, I, was, I was working that night, and so I couldn't get riggedy wrecked on, on loggers. Right. I was dead at the time. I was on the moon. I'm better now. I feel like on these na national whatever-the-crap days, you always find out about them, like, long after you're able to do anything about it. <laughs> the, and like all these crap national holidays or whatever. Yeah, the press releases tend to come out, or the news releases in the newspaper tend to come out like the day of the event. And who reads the newspaper now anyway? So it's, it's, it's the day. I'm, I always find them the day after. It's like, did you enjoy National Logger Day? I mean, no, I didn't know. There was there was time. I could have. I could have been a contender. Uh, that happened yeah. to me on National Donut Day too, and I was like, seriously, guys. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm on Twitter like at six o'clock in the evening. I'm just, thinking about, I'm just thinking about those uh, uh, maple bacon donuts. Good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's like I, all. I don't understand the amount of donuts I've had from that place just within the last like month. Mm. Place that makes basically an entire breakfast into one donut, and it's delicious. It is delicious. Ever. I don't remember their name, and they're not paying me to to show for them, so we're just gonna move on. It's hard. Uh. <laughs> um. 
Anyway, so what have you been up to, Casey? Yeah, I've got uh, a couple beers, different beers fermenting. I stepped a little bit into ciders this year. When you say um, a couple, do you mean like ten? Because I think you you have like ten planned. <laughs> I do have ten different beers planned. So we've got the competition coming up June of next year, and I've never entered into a competition myself. I've judged competitions, but never actually entered one. So next Next June, I'll be entering hopefully 10 beers that I'll be brewing between now and then. Wow. I'm maxing out the the competition's limit on that one. But so far, this week, it'll be my first one, and it's going to be an Imperial Stout aged with coffee and vanilla. Oh. oh. Like one that we tried recently. Exactly. That was, that was my favorite one. Chris, um, isn't, Chris isn't here, but I feel this needs to be done. Mm. <laughs> no, like yeah, no that that uh, an imperial stout that's coffee and vanilla flavored is delicious. I don't even like coffee that much, and it's so good. <laughs> uh, what else? What else are you working on? Um, like I said, the apple cider. So I've got a Jonah Gold apple cider that I just put in, um, just put in the fermenter last week. Um, I don't know if anybody out there has has one of those Jack LaLanne juicers, but <laughs> I don't think they were meant to make five gallons of cider. You know, they they weren't made for industrial strength juicing. I'm pretty sure there's probably a warning label somewhere on there, not for for industrial use. But uh, we sure the we war- the warning label now probably says not for Casey's and his cider <laughs> making. Yeah, we definitely put 45 pounds of apples through that thing last week. <laughs> Um, a little Sorry, over a that's, bushels. I, in my head, I I I had seen your apple purchases before you got into to, to starting this cider. I, I I'd been over to your place to see it, and I I just the 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 actual pound amount just makes me laugh. I oh my god, so many apples. It is. <laughs> um, luckily, I was able to get my wife involved in it, and so she. She took a turn. We would we would sanitize the outside of the apples, and then she would cut them, and then we'd throw them through the juicer, and then give it time to chill, uh, cool off. She may not hear this, but I'm sorry, Ashley. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, though. Uh, brought us uh, closer together, right? <laughs> brought us closer together. Brought you closer to a divorce. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh... I want to make my own side. Like that sounds fun, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's all fun and games until someone has to start juicing. Yeah. So Which also to... works for professional sports. Huh. Right. Okay. right. <laughs> uh, if you want to get into cider, it's really easy. It was actually the first thing I ever brewed. Um, I went and bought a one gallon of, um, of a just standard over-the-counter cider or an apple juice that didn't have any preservatives in it. Um, at the time, I, I didn't know where a homebrew store was, had no way of purchasing any homebrew equipment, so I fermented inside of the the jug, um, dumping some, I think it was it was really bad. It was like bread yeast, like active start bread yeast in there, and then uh, put a balloon with a hole poked into it on the top as my airlock, and <laughs> don't do it that way. Actually, get the real yeast, and, and but you could ferment straight in the container if you wanted to. So- Ciders were your gateway drug into the world of brewing. It's true, and so like four years ago or whatever, I you know did a cider, and and now it's the first time that I've actually done one that I'll probably be able to drink. <laughs> one that you won't look at and go, I'm a failure. 
<laughs> right? Ah. Uh, all right. All right. Uh, yeah, so... See, the, the news is going to completely trip me up without him here. Uh, without without Chris, we're 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 just a ship with no rudder when it comes to news time. But we're going to we're going to go on and go into the news. I think. Yes. <laughs> All right. So uh, our first story is about our beloved <laughs> beloved brewer, New Belgium. Uh, I feel like if I was wearing a hat, I would take it off for this news story. I know. Though uh, I, I, no, I, I do completely understand. So, uh, so okay. New Belgium is looking for a buyer. No, no, say it isn't so. Yeah. Uh, Fort Collins Company, fourth largest craft beer in the craft brewer law in the country, hired investment advisor uh, Lazard Middle Market to explore a potential sale valued at one billion dollars or more. Uh, this is a story from Reuters reported on uh, just this past Friday. Wow. So, yeah. I mean... So, I the, the good thing is... So, I did find this one quote that said, it's unlikely uh, federal antitrust regulators would let Anheuser-Busch acquire New Belgium, um, which, says, which has 0.5% market share. Okay. Because <laughs> that would just so, be nuts. Okay. That was like the light I, at the end of the tunnel. I don't, I don't know the exact number that Anheuser Busch has for, for market share, but I want to say it's somewhere near like what, forty percent. Forty-five, forty percent, I think was the. It, it lost. It actually lost market share recently, but uh, over this last year. But I think it's forty-five percent. That's what we call foreshadowing for a future story. But let's keep going. Um, <laughs> um, and then so it says point five doesn't seem like enough. And I don't know the laws well enough, but it feels like that's something like you know an antitrust would go, oh, 0.5, too much there. Yeah, <laughs> that's what they're, they're leaning toward, thankfully. Because um, yeah. if more than 25% of New Belgium is acquired by one of the mega brewers, so like Anheuser-Busch or Miller Coors, uh, it would lose its designation as a craft brewer as well. Well, one of our one of our first couple episodes, we mentioned someone had had sold off part of the company. Right. And uh, was it Lagunitas? It wasn't Lagunitas. They got bought out entirely, I believe. Okay. Uh, well, but uh, Dogfish Head recently. Dogfish Head. I think that might have been yeah. who it was. They they sold part, and so this isn't them saying, "Here, buy us lock, stock, and smoking brewer." Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's like saying, "Buy part of us." Well, I th- I think they're looking to just be bought out, period. But at the same, I think it's also just anything goes. Uh, yeah. Like if you if you were to buy a percentage, I think that would. And it sounds like they need. They they need some some money revenue to come in. Well, if you were looking over at capital, um, capital is the word I'm looking for. There. Yeah, uh, especially to expand. I mean, this that's one of the easiest ways to get that brought in. Um, if you were looking over at Ballast Point, who a couple weeks ago got bought out for a billion dollars, and they've not got nearly the amount of of uh, barrelage that. You know, New Belgium has. Yeah. You know, they're they're looking at that, saying, "Well, why can't we we get some of that?" I don't know how many employees New Belgium has, but since they're um, the way that they're an ESOP, an employee stock ownership program, I mean, each one of those employees would own a certain stake in the company. A billion dollars split between, I don't know, maybe 500 employees. That's a lot of money. It is, and you know. It... 
like I I enjoy some of New Belgium stuff. Like I just finished uh, one of their their salted caramel brownie ales uh, just before we got started recording, and and I I want you know I want them to still be a thing, and I want them to work as they have been. It's just. If you, well, I mean, if you need the money, you need the money. That's the thing about all the craft brewers that we love so much. You know, they they can only get so much done that they want to do. Yeah. Most with usually with with the resources that they have. So this kind of thing just unfortunately has to happen. But again, if if uh, InBev slash Anheuser Busch or whatever isn't the one to buy them, I'm going to be a little bit happier about it. That would be nice, you know. <laughs> Man, just someone who knows nothing about brewing buys them and just says, "Guys, just just do whatever you were doing." I think that's probably something that we could look into seeing because whenever um, Dogfish Head sold, they sold to an investment firm, and they I think they only sold fifteen percent. Yeah. But their investment, those investment firms, they know that the brewers know what to do. They're they're just there to monitor and and reap the rewards, basically. Yeah, they they were there to give them a big bag of money and to let. To let them, you know, take some dividends for a while until, until they give them a bigger bag of money to buy them off. I mean, that's <laughs> a little you know, Silicon Valley kind of deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, the, so I, if they need the money and they need, if this is going to improve what they're already doing, sure, you know, what that's good for you if that happens. Like, uh, yeah, that'll be fine. Um, I think. Right now we're we're at this, and you mentioned Silicon Valley, Brittany. I, I think we're at this web t- web, you know, the peak of the web boom that we had. Um, I think we're getting that with craft beer right now, and so a lot of people are entering the market, but there are a lot of people failing in this market right now. Um, it, it used to be you had a decent product, you could get out there, sell it, no matter what. Right now, you've got a lot to work against. Um, You've got a lot of these mega brewers that are pushing against you, and you've got a lot of the the small brewers that are actually pushing their market share uh, wider to more states in distribution. Yeah, I mean, even we've had that problem recently. It was just like, oh god, wait, we, which was crazy. You know, this has never really happened. This has never really been a thing that we're just like, there's so many options now, <laughs> all like regional, you know. Yeah. Aside from the stuff from like New Belgium and and founders and whatnot. So it's a it's a fun new problem to have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> more choices as opposed to a better problem to have than than fewer. It's right. just the we always get a little you know tinfoil hat scared when we hear about you know one of the brewers trying to one of the breweries trying to sell off parts of it because we're just afraid of what happens you know when when things go wrong. But but this this has a potential to have you know have have very good things happen. So. Right. And at That's the very funny. least, the guys that that work there have a good chance of making a lot of money off. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's some forklift opter forklift operator there who's been there 15 years, and and he's going to be a millionaire at the end of this. I can oh, just see it now. <laughs> man, if that was a thing that could happen, like man, I was like, man, get me on a forklift now. Actually, I don't want to be on a forklift anyway. Those those look like kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um. Our next story is not quite as a uh, light at the end of the tunnel-y. <laughs> uh, headline, King of Beers Wants to Push Craft Brewers Out of Your Supermarket. Yeah, um, InBev, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to read uh, what what uh, Chris 
uh, put down for this news story. Uh, despite not being here, his presence is still felt. I'm just not saying it so we don't have to slap an explicit label on our episode. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, InBev is uh, trying to muscle muscle people out, muscle the craft brewers out of uh, uh, out of some of their dis- uh, some of the distribution options. So. Um, AB InBev and uh, rival Miller Coors together own about 80% of the market share, uh, while the independent brewers own about 11% of the market share. They're trying to basically set up uh, an incentive plan, uh, InBev is, that says – let me see if I read this correctly before I before I start speaking because there's a good chance I'll screw it up. Uh uh, distributors who sell volumes are 95% made up of AB InBev brands would be eligible to have the brewer cover as much as half of their contractual marketing support for those brands, which includes retail promotions and display costs. Basically, they're just throwing money at them to make sure that no one else could you – know, that, that most of the stuff that they sell is – is a, an AB InBev product, so Anheuser-Busch and all the subsidiaries thereof. Um, that is... Ugh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. That, it, part of that squeeze is, is that makes this so much worse. Uh, yeah. That same incentive plan um, talks about they can only carry cr- the they being the you know, distributor. The distributor, yeah. Uh, they can only carry craft brewers that produce less than 15,000 barrels or sell beer only in one state. Yeah. They, uh... Oh, this just leaves a dirty taste in my mouth. Hold on, i got to wash it out with some beer. <laughs> yeah, so this is like ah. just garbage is what this is. Uh. <laughs> well, and what the reason this set this off was that over the last year, and Casey had said in the previous story, they've that InBev has lost some market share in the U.S. or Anheuser Busch has lost some market share in in the U.S. Right. While the uh, while the craft beer uh, 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 percentage of market share has been going up, to where all of them together equal about eleven percent. So they're like, no, we got to make up that ground, and they're just trying to shove them out the door, and it's. Uh, sorry, I just keep groaning because it makes me angry. Uh. Uh, these major companies, they are – I mean every company is based on how much money you can make, yeah. um, what, your, what your shareholders and stakeholders feel like you should be doing. And, and a company of that size that lost 4% market share whenever the market is – Millions. I, I don't know how large it is. I'm sure it's more than a few million dollars, probably close to the billion dollar range for the uh, the market share, the full market share. Um, but whenever you're looking at that sort of cash that you did not pull in this year and you've been so used to it for the past 20 years, probably 20, 30 years growing every year, I mean that's got to hurt. And, and these guys are just seeing what they can – throwing everything they can – at these distributors to try to get them to sell more beer. Um, we've got or more of their beer. In the U.S., we've got that three-tier distributor system, which was right. based on trying to break the the monopolies that these large companies had. And yeah, and 
the uh, the distributors are nominally not independent. That's uh, yeah, they're they're not that independent. They've got enough. Inbev has enough sway, especially with doing a move like this, to just say yeah. And I think they're 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 calculating on a hundred and fifty million dollars. Yeah, hundred and fifty million dollars. Uh, as part of their three-year restore growth in AB InBev's most profitable market scheme. That's a terrible title. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, like it's I, just to throw a you know 150 million at at some of these larger distributors and just like hey, if you just muscle these guys out and make sure you sell more of our stuff to people, we'll be fine. They don't care if they sell to the to the customer at that point though, because they've They've made the money through the distributor, haven't they? Well, whenever you send it to the distributor, the way it works is, you know, the, the producer sends it to the distributor. The distributor sends it on down the line to the, the retailer, whether it's on-premise or off-premise. There is a certain amount of beer spoilage that would happen at the right. bottom of that, and then that gets hit back to the distributor. And I'm not real sure if the distributor can then send that beer back to the company and say, hey, we, we couldn't sell this. You need to reimburse us or give us a fresh case. I have a sneaking suspicion that it doesn't if they can give them $150 million and <laughs> they're like, yeah, no, let's do it. But either way, you've got – these distributors are going to be um, – it's, it's to reimburse their marketing expenses. So that means these distributors will be putting on more uh, events at your local bar or your local pub, these late night weekend events. Um, they're going to be buying more end caps at, in your grocery store or, or putting more displays on end caps in your grocery store. Um, technically, I don't think it's legal for them to purchase the rights to it might be, to, but they they do it. I mean, it, there's there's a certain amount of, of that sort of under the table money going around. I yeah, and and I'm sure that there were like a million ninja lawyers sent on over this deal. That's my term for people that, that <laughs> do this, like whose lawyers who do this sort of stuff. Just like no. Uh, so I, this this is a really this is a very recent program. So this is just reported on like within the last week or two. Um, I don't know when the official thing you know started, but so apparently. At least one distributor has dropped a craft brewer as a result of this program. Deschutes Brewery president Michael, I don't know, Laland, Leyland. We're gonna say Leyland said that Gray Eagle Distributing of St. Louis decided to drop the Oregon Brewery uh, behind something else because it had to make a choice to go with the incentive program or stay with craft beer. Yeah, and. I mean, that's it's their bottom line. They can't just sit there and go like, I mean, I feel like I should be morally opposed to. No, I have to keep my job. <laughs> yeah, it, it's all about the dollar in this. I, I looked up the national for the U.S. the national overall beer market, and it's one hundred and one point five billion dollars is your market. So if you take that, a five percent drop is a little over five billion dollars that they lost. Which is not anything to sneeze at, of course, but at the same time, I don't know, I guess you just have that image of Anheuser-Busch being that, that you know, cartoon corporate villain, you know, like in the, in the like, all, you know, the ivory towers and whatnot, and they're just like... I'm picturing them like a 
like a twist. I'm picturing him a twist of Snidely Whiplash and uh, and like an old fat cat uh, fat cat robber baron, like just twirling a mustache as they tie. You know, I'm making someone's beer-based political cartoon for them, but like them tying craft brewing to the train tracks as the distributor train runs them over. I'm not, I'm not going to be surprised if that exists as a cartoon. But it, and I know that's not the best way to think of it. We want to generally on the show we want to encourage people to drink whatever they want to drink. But we do about but what don't, you're... but don't endorse these assholes. <laughs> <laughs> but on the other hand, yeah. but I, t- so personally to us this is kind of a big deal because how are you going to get more options out there when you have really essentially a single type of beer <laughs> pushing yeah. out everything else in the market. Uh, uh, so if you take if you take that that loss that they've had, that would be enough. And you take the the number from our previous story that New Belgium wants uh, maybe a billion dollars for theirs. They would be valued at a billion dollars, and they're fourth on the list of the most production. Just think of the breweries that they could have bought with what the money they what money they had lost. Uh, Deschutes, yeah. uh, they could have bought the 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 company that they just dropped from Eagle Distributors in this story or Gray Eagle Distributing. Um, then you've got Bell's, uh, Dogfish Head they could purchase with that. And I, I'm not saying just one of these founders. They could purchase all of those probably. The the plan they had been going forth with it seemed like it had been like let's just buy them up. And since that's becoming less of an option since they're being valued so high, I guess that's probably what, what made them think to do this plan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well. Let's, we've dwelled enough on this. The next story is a slightly – more neutral? <laughs> no, no, it's the end of times. <laughs> so this story is uh, that craft brewers are having to compete more for their cans. Um, I know a lot of these craft brewers are going to um, cans instead of bottles. Um, the can has a lot of benefits there. Um, it's like a mini keg. There's lower oxygen levels in a can. Um, a lot of people like to take them camping or like to take them to the pool and you can do that with a can where you can't do it with a glass bottle. Um, but this story is about Scott Metzger um, in San Antonio and he's the he's the founder of Freetail Brewing Company as a brew pub. About seven years ago he founded it and he spent he says thousands on new equipment. Well breweries are quite expensive. It doesn't matter if you're a small brewer or a large brewer but he uses the 16 ounce can size which is becoming more and more in demand. Um, I'm sure you all have seen it more often, the 16-ounce can in uh, grocery stores or on uh, beer store shelves. At brew pubs, in fact, too. Yeah. <laughs> We're just at Taft's Ale House, and they, I, I got the 16-ounce of their Christmas one. Yeah, so 16-ounce, uh, you can put uh, a little bit more of a value on that, where you just get a little bit more beer, I think, versus a... 12 pack you get or I mean a, a six pack you get less beer but it looks um, it looks like more beer when you get a four pack of 16 ounces but yeah it a four pack of 16 ounces 16 ounces just to be a little bit bigger they look more impressive than the standard 12 ounce yeah you get a lot more uh, space on that shelf it's like the size of it's just like getting a monster like an energy drink <laughs> yeah comparison if people aren't aware so they um, they are one of these companies that doesn't use a whole lot of um, doesn't use a whole lot of cans in general. And in the past, there was one of the distributors, the can distributors, who would work with these smaller 
companies that would only use or smaller brew pubs or breweries that would only use a few cans at a time. And that was Crown. Right now, though, they're starting to reduce their minimum order a lot smaller. I know that whenever you looked at, uh, let's see, there was Bell Bell Brewery, which also makes like canning jars. Um, I don't know if anybody else out there cans their own food, but the or sorry, Ball uh, Ball Canning Manufacturing um, and Rexham, but both of those are the larger manufacturers that make. I'm pretty sure just about every can that you're going to see a craft beer in that's nationally distributed, they're the ones that are making that. And then Crown was kind of catering to the smaller breweries. The difference from what I could find wasn't that large on how many you had to order as a minimum. I think Ball and Wrexham wanted 12 pallets, which is about a truckload, and Crown would do a minimum of eight pallets. So whenever you take it and, and move this out, a truckload could range from 155,000 to 200,000 um, cans. I'm just all I'm thinking is like okay, so how much of the Earth's crust is aluminum? Uh. <laughs> and and that's that's a true. When you talk about craft distributors, we're the the craft market is so small in this can world. Um, I might find it right here in just a minute where it actually tells how many what the percentage is. Yeah, here it is. Uh, Mr. Uh, one of the, the brewers here uses about 6,000 cans a month, where Anheuser-Busch InBev uses about 1.5 billion cans a month. I mean, that's 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 an unfair measurement to compare them to, I like to think. <laughs> but at the same time, think about how many cans 6,000 cans a month is. <laughs> that's about – that's a little bit less, I think, than a pallet of cans. I'm just um, saying I'm trying to picture that many cans like in my <laughs> in my bedroom where I'm recording and just thinking. Yeah, that so – that would, that would fill up a wall, I think. Well, or if you put them in a cube, it would be, I think, like four feet by four feet by four yeah. feet. Uh, I think that's about uh, no, maybe I a want, little bit larger. But yeah. but I, w I want beer can walls now. <laughs> You keep drinking that Budweiser. We'll we'll make sure. No, never. <laughs> not after not after the way they behaved. So all the craft beers that we partake in are cans. Now that I'm thinking about it, uh, it's like a big. I mean, I know it's a big thing, but now that I just like I'm thinking of different breweries, I'm like, oh yeah. The, huh. the first mm -hmm. one, I, the first one I saw to do it, uh, and they might may not have been like early adopters, but uh, you know, West Sixth here in uh, here in Lexington, Kentucky, they. They started doing it, and we, me and Casey did a tour of there, and I was like, cans, you say? Those would be better for it. Let's yeah, they're... Madtree. Um, Madtree and then Rheingeist, and yeah. then Moreline started putting some stuff in cans, and it's just like a thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm sure so, other distributors, other breweries that aren't in our, in, in our respective back doors. <laughs> if you want to talk about, like, the top distributors in the U.S., you've got... Um, I know that the folks at 21A, 21st Amendment, they're big into canning. Um, they like the the cans, and they're starting to get some distribution nas nationally. I can't hear canning without thinking of like people doing it with green beans or something. <laughs> I did that this week, actually. I canned some wort for my beer starters because it's completely sterile. It's I'm nice. I'm just picturing crazy survivalists like, no, 
we got to be ready for when everything shuts down. <laughs> well, Kansas... no, off- no offense to crazy survivalists out there. You guys are going to live much longer than me once once the system breaks down. But but these uh, these cans are much – I mean, that's why people can. They're much better at, at keeping the beer fresh than um, a lot of bottles are. Um, you don't get the leakage of, of oxygen in like you would with a bottle. I mean, it's like a mini keg, really. Yeah, yeah. But um, right now, Crown is starting to increase their minimums, and that's really scary in a lot of these brewers, especially because there's a lot of cost from move from, to move from one canning uh, company to another. And although there may be some micro canning companies out there, they're not um, they're they're not going to have the volumes of uh, the scale volumes that you would get through uh, one of these larger companies. Um, they're not. They should step up their game. Micro cans for micro brews. <laughs> well, the the number of cans that you purchase, if you like, the purchase price of a can can be anywhere from eleven to fifteen cents a can. Um, so, whenever you start to put all that together, you get the reduction in cost as you increase your can purchase. Um, so Crown's probably going that route. But what Mister Met Metzger, I guess, M-E-T-Z-G-E-R, of I mean, this brewery. Right. I'm looking at the word now going like, Metzger. Yeah, sure. Um, sounds like he, it. he reportedly paid about twenty-eight grand for the printing plates that stamp on their artwork. That seems a little high. He yeah. may he may be, because from what I understand and, and some other research that I did on the Master Brewers Association of America, the artwork costs about 2000 to 3000 per design. So unless he's doing a lot of designs or something very intricate, um, that, that seems a little much. He may be exaggerating there, just maybe, fair and balance. Maybe he's, maybe he's really bad at negotiating deals. And... <laughs> um, I actually uh, – there's a, I've got a couple of plates. I think it's Michelob Ultra or – no, not even Michelob Ultra, just Michelob um, plates from one of the canning companies out there that actually – I think this one's the black. So if you like – if you work on can design or any other design, you've got a couple different colors for each color of ink. You've got to have a different plate, and uh, they're really neat. But they're made out of metal, and they've got to go through a lot of use. So even if he was up to twenty-eight thousand dollars for the printing plates, that's not a lot when you think about the entire canning run. How much he'll get out of of those plates? Yeah, absolutely. Because those plates, since they are metal, they last a, a good long while. Especially if you're only using six thousand cans a month. Um, but right now he's ordering everything he can before the minimum goes up. Um, he says it's getting slightly scary. Um, right now, uh, a canning machine is cost cost brewers about thirty thousand um, dollars for the sixteen ounce serving size. But one of the big issues with a can versus a bottle is that whenever you've got a can you have to pay this extra price per design. With a bottle, you can slap a label on by hand with every every bottle that goes out. So yeah, that's, that's true. It's a, it's a big difference there. But, you know, a lot of these brewers, they like the idea, especially if you're camping-oriented, they like the idea of, of being able to take your cans with you as you go. Yeah, yeah. I think cans seem like a much better better way for packaging that for camping. Less fragile. I think you get less losses as you ship them yeah. from breakage and whatnot. Okay. All right. So now that we're sufficiently, at least slightly terrified about the history, about the future of canning. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, 
let's move on into our topic. Let's start talking about some loggers. Been on that truck. Sneaky bastards. Been on that truck. Been on that truck. Been on that truck. I love our new bumpers. <laughs> um, okay, so the wonderful lager. Okay, uh, the lager is a type of beer that's conditioned at low temperatures, normally in cold storage at the brewery, before being delivered to the consumer. It may be pale, golden, amber, or dark. Uh, although the defining feature of lager beer is the maturation in cold storage, it's also distinguished by the use of bottom fermenting lager yeast, or we're going to go for this, uh, Saccharomyces uvarum. Good job, I like it. Sticker for that. Um, <laughs> while it's possible to use lager yeast in a warm fermentation process, such as with American steam beer, uh, the lack of cold storage maturation phase precludes such beer from being classified as lager beer. On the other hand, German alt beer and Kolsch use traditional top fermenting yeast in temperatures, but with cold storage, cold storage finishing stage. Its classification as top fermented lager beer may be controversial. You didn't want to read the word with all the umlauts? No. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in Germany today, the term is mainly reserved for the pre uh, prevalent lager style of southern Germany. Uh, these beers are usually distinguished by their colors and referred to as uh, Helles or Dunkel, uh, though both words are used as, as to describe other types of beer. Uh, there's also the popular Pilsner style, which is uh, a little bit hoppier. It's also uh, also a pale lager. It's uh, most known simply as either a Pilsner or a Pils. And it's n apparently it's neither called a lager beer or a Hellas. <laughs> it's one of those, like, it's the shades of difference yeah. between between some of them, you know. you got to know what you're talking about to know the difference between a Pilsner and a Hellas, and I don't. But Casey took a breath. So I'm betting he does. So Pilsner is is based off of the the place where it was brewed originally, Pilsen. So it it's it could be a lager beer or a Hellas, you know, pale lager beer. Um, but it was brewed in Pilsen, so it took the name of Pils. Okay. Uh, there are other types of uh uh. Lager beer styles as well, such as Bach, Marzen, or, uh, Marzen. <laughs> Gonna start, correct it before you corrected me, and uh, and Schwarzbier. <laughs> so in the United Kingdom, the term lager commonly refers to pale lagers, many of which are derived from the Pilsner style, um, derived loosely. Uh, worldwide, though, pale lager is the most widely consumed commercially available style of beer. It's often known primarily by its brand name and labeled simply as beer. Well-known brands include Budweiser, Stella Artois, Beck's, Corona, Heineken, Foster's, Carlsberg. Those are quite loosely defined as uh, as Pilsner styles as well, but uh, they're a lighter, less flavorful version of the traditional Czech Pilsner. I, I will say when you can get a, you get a traditional German pils or German pilsner, there you can tell the difference between that and a Budweiser. That's all I'm saying. Absolutely, yeah. Or if you find the original Budweiser, the, the non-American Budweiser. Budvar. Yeah, 
That's yeah. that's a like I like I like Carlsberg okay. You know, it, 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 mm. some of that stuff you just kind of have to be in the mood for, or if it's like this is the only one available on our beer list at this like crappy, <laughs> you know, or some place you're at. I get I get annoyed at at Stella. If I if I had Stella on draft where I work, it would be fine. But it's in bottle, and so I have to deal with their little paper wrapping around the yeah around the thing, and that that's it's just too much work. <laughs> I think the worst on this list is probably Fosters and Bud, but well, yeah. Corona. <laughs> oh yes, that, I mean, the next dark is actually pretty okay. Hmm. All right. Well, let's uh, let's climb into the Wayback Machine. Let's talk a little bit about some history. Now, this uh, style originates uh, from the Bavaria uh, Bavarian region in Germany. Uh, didn't really come about until about the 1800s. Uh, so refrigeration has always kind of been a problem with beer. Uh, people basically around the time they were they were coming to the idea of doing the lagering, uh, they had had enough time drink they had enough centuries of drinking warm beer, and they decided it was time to look for a more refreshing solution. The early days of lagering, some brewers would just take their beer to frozen caves in the Bavarian Alps, uh, packed with ice, and then just leave it there for the summer. This long brewing meant that the yeast and other other heavy matter would settle down to the bottom. Uh, and it would leave the drink with a clean taste and a pale color. Uh, it would also be a little bit more high in CO2, but not maybe not always, but usually. Uh, these Bavarian lager beers were much darker than what we would uh, typically call a lager today uh, due to the heavy wa- water of the region, but uh, you can still find some of these dark brown lagers, as, uh, as we mentioned earlier, like Dunkel's, uh, and they're still produced today. We were talking about this earlier um, this week, uh, Justin, and we were talking about why the beers would have a higher level of carbon dioxide. Do you remember right. that? Yeah, no, no. It was a couple of days ago before I went to go watch Star Wars. Yeah, so uh, CO2 is actually dissolved better into solution at a lower temperature. Sorry to throw all that science at you, but basically, colder it is, the more carbonation the beer would have without adding a cap to it or, or putting pressure on it. Um, so whenever it's cold, you get a higher level of carbonation. Like we were saying, the same way if you open a hot two liter of soda versus a cold two liter of soda, which one's going to fizz more? Yeah. I feel like when Casey's not here, we need to have uh, Bill Nye the Science Guy clip. <laughs> <laughs> like I was literally just going, Bill Nye the Science Guy. Uh, <laughs> So over the first half of the 19th century, brewers continued to experiment with this lagering technique as it spread across Europe. The beer maker, uh, Gabriel Sedemar II, the younger of the Bavarian Spaten Brewery, that's a long name if I've ever heard one, he set out (laughs) on a journey around European countries with the intention of perfecting lager brewing, and as a result, others who met him began their own ventures. Johnny Applebrew. Yeah, that's a good uh, combination there. (laughs) By the 1800s, Austrians developed the Amber Red Viennese beer. Uh, I'm assuming it was made with with a darker uh, darker malt that that we have, Vienna malt. Um, Well, there you go, (laughs) using lighter malts than the Bavarians, so lighter than that Dunkel 
malt, but it's still in that, a little darker than the Pilsens, which the town of Pilsen in Bohemia had been making beers since the 1200s, but in 1842, the Bavarian brewer Joseph Grohl traveled there and tested a new lager recipe. By a fortunate coincidence of the region's soft water and the local barley, which is low in protein, the first golden beer was achieved. So that's where you first getting start getting these light beers um, that we see today. Um, so with the uh, low protein, the, the golden beer, the drink began to be known there as the Pilsner, or uh, the original Pilsner is the brand name we see now, Pilsner Urkel. Uh, it's a typical example of the Pilsen style. It, it says a lot about my age and upbringing that when I see Urkel, I can only think of one thing. And that's that's uh, the character from, from Family Matters. Urkel? <laughs> well, t to be specific, Stefan Urkel, his, right, yeah. his, his alter ego when he took the cool formula. Who they eventually became two different people. Well, there was cloning involved in that, and we so have gone, gone we've time. gone way off. <laughs> all right, next episode is all about family matters, guys. Let's get ready. Uh. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, in the 1850s, German brewers took their techniques and Bavarian hops to America. USA, USA. <laughs> Hmm. Here, the trend for pale, light-bodied lagers would be continued, culminating in 1993 when Miller produced Clear Beer, a drink with the colorless appearance of lemonade. I, I don't, okay, I wasn't old enough to drink when this came out. I don't remember it, and it makes me want to shoot myself hearing it. I literally just think of the, like we were talking about before the show, the, like the Crystal Pepsi, or Clear Pepsi, whatever it was. I think it was about the same time, too. Everybody apparently got real crazy about Things clear beverages. <laughs> they thought it was the way of the future. <laughs> oh, no, it's like that. I, beer shouldn't be clear is all I'm saying. I feel like you've just messed – You've what has science wrought at that point? See, and that rhymes, so therefore that should be some kind of edict. <laughs> no clear No clear beer. No clear beer. Uh <laughs> All right. Um, so, in researching, I was not aware. Like, I have learned a lot in this episode already. <laughs> like, I was not aware that so many of these different styles are styles of lager and not their own distinct, you know, deal. I mean, I didn't know anything about the Dunkles or the. Yeah. Uh, well, I knew about the. I mean, I knew they existed. I didn't know they were lagers. No. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like the the Dunkel, and then um, I didn't know that Pilsner was a type of lager specifically. So. We're already uh, getting in there, but so we have um, there are 14 styles of lager to go over, <laughs> and we're going to start with the amber, which is one of my favorites. Amber lagers are vaguely defined style of lager, much favored by U.S. lager brewers. So they're darker in color, anywhere from amber, of course, to copper-hued, and they're generally more flavorful than standard pale lager. Caramel malt flavors are typical, and hopping levels kind of vary considerably from one brewery to the next, which mm. is to be expected. Um, they're frequently hoppier than the true Vienna-style lagers, um, but they're, which are they're loose, loosely based on, um, and the alcohol levels are about a max of 5%. Um, next we have the 
See, I've never actually heard of this one. Black or Schwartz beer? I've heard about it. I've had one or two, but they don't, like, pop in my memory. Yeah. That may be just because I've had a lot of different kinds of beer, and I may not remember what they all were. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the, it was originally brewed in eastern Germany. It's um, known to be darker in color, of course, uh, than their Munich counterparts. Often relatively full-bodied, rarely under 5% ABV. And these beers classically feature a bitter chocolate, roasted malt note, and a rounded character. Uh, hop accents, pretty low. Um, and the obscure style was picked up by Japanese brewers and is also made in small quantities of uh, in Japan's major brewers. So that's mm. kind of um, Schwartz beers, though, not often attempted by the U.S. brewers. So that's kind of interesting. I wonder yeah. where too many of them, I guess. I don't know. It's Maybe they just don't think anyone's going to be in the mood for it. Mm. Uh, but next on our list, uh, we've got Box. Uh, they are a specific type of strong lager historically associated with Germany and specifically the town of, I'm going to guess, Einbeck. Uh, these beers uh, range in color, color from pale to deep amber, and they're typically uh, typically on the sweeter side. Uh, they they have a lot of malty sweetness, and uh, uh, that usually that usually comes from the Bavarian malts. Uh, they're typically around five or six AB, uh, five or six percent ABV, uh, and Apparently, this is a weird little fun fact, uh, is a play on the word Bach uh, that also refers to a male goat in German. <laughs> All right, sure. Uh, a lot of people, they, uh, they choose this a lot uh, for springtime drinks uh, called a Maybach uh, or in winter, uh, which is a weird dichotomy there. Spring or winter. Yeah. Uh, when their warmth can be fully appreciated apparently. Yeah, yeah I think that the the Maybach, the that first spring one, it's a lighter, you know, the Bach there. When we talk here in a little bit about some of the other box, you'll understand why the the winter is much more appreciated. You're a Bach. <laughs> um I am actually a Bach. Our our local brew club is called Bach. Oh, that's right. They asked the, me about that. Yeah, okay. The Brewers of Central Kentucky, so yeah. Yeah. So funny. That's one of the few times that would ever happen. <laughs> uh, also, also on the list, the Dark Lager, or Dunkel. Uh, the Dunkel is, a, is the original style of lager. It's the forerunner of pale lagers today. Uh, it was started in, uh, in and around Bavaria, and it's uh, widely brewed there and around the world. Uh, it's often what the average consumer thinks uh, is referring to when they think of dark beer. Let's see. They tend to have a, a dry chocolate or licorice notes and a lot of roasted malts. Uh, still kind of still kind of crisp like a lager, though. Uh, they tend to be brewed in and around Munich, uh, or, well, those tend to be fuller-bodied and sometimes uh, have a little bit of a bready sweetness. Uh, and I will say, when I think of Dunkel, I think of the 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 first one I had 
at uh, at the Hofbrau House. Mm -hmm. They served served it to me in a liter, and I was like, "Yeah, this that's appropriate." <laughs> Uncle, yeah, everybody, like anybody, any of our our people, <laughs> our people, <laughs> not at your people, Hofbrau House. That's uh, most loggers. They are, you know, quaffable. You can drink a lot of them, and they they go down easy. That's that's the dangerous part about some of these things. Yeah, and th that night with uh, two, one and a half to two liters of Dunkel in me emphasized why it was a dangerous thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So moving on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's go on to the Doppelbach. So this is a subcategory of that box style, and these are an extra strong, rich, and weighty lager characterized by an intense malty sweetness with a note of hop bitterness to balance the sweetness. So color of these things can vary from a full amber to a dark brown, but the alcohol levels are potently high. These are some of those, those lager beers that you can't drink. I mean, I mean, you could, but it's a lot more difficult to drink uh, one of a liter of these versus a pint. So they're Quitter talk. They're Quitter talk. You got to drink like a champion. <laughs> Seven to eight percent alcohol by volume. So these were uh, first brewed by the Polliner monks in Munich, and at the time it was intended to be consumed as a liquid bread during Lent. Um, I'm not super familiar with Lent, but I'm assuming you can't eat during the day. It's, well, no. It's, at all. You, you give up something for forty days. Okay. So, the period leading up to Easter, and and you 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 give up something. Or it's forty or thirty. I'm not Catholic, but I think it's forty. I do think it's forty, though. Uh, you give up stuff for something for a period of time as a show of your devotion. Typically, the 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 the, the thing that usually gets given up is like red meat or something like that. <laughs> so yeah, I thought it was just like a thing that you didn't eat red meat during that period. Because uh, you have the fish fries around here. Right. Well, that's the oh, time yeah. when, like, it's Lent time. Everyone's like, "All right, no, I'm, I gave up meat for Lent." Uh, yeah, you change what it is. Sometimes some people give up, like, you know, I'm not going to say smoking because no one gives that up for like 40 days just to come back. But <laughs> <laughs> if so, like, man, you just really enjoy smoking. In which case, all right, whatever. Sure. Nice. So. Um... Interesting. Good to know. Most Bavarian examples of this style end in the suffix ater, um, in deference to the first commercial example, which was named uh, Salvator, um, A-T-O-R, Salvator, which means savior, and this was brewed by the Polliner Brewers. Along with the Doppelbach, and let me make sure. Yeah. I just keep thinking like doppelgangers or Doppelbach every time I hear Doppelbach. A doppelbach does really mean doublebach, I believe. That's the that's the true meaning of it, and uh, it's because it's about double the strength. Yeah. Uh, you've also got the Dortmunder Export, which is a well balanced, smooth, and refreshing beer. Dortmunders tend to be stronger and fuller than other pale lagers or the uh, Munich Helles style. They may be a shade darker and a touch hoppier. The style originates from the city of Dortmund in northern Germany, which is near, uh, I believe, Kolsch region. Um, Dortmunder export came to be uh, during the Industrial Revolution uh, when Dortmund was the center of the coal and steel industries. 
and the swelling population needed a hardy and sustaining brute. The export, uh, the export version uh, refers to the fact that the beer was brewed to be exported to surrounding regions. Um, that means it was probably a stronger version. Uh, the export usually means that it's it's higher in alcohol, so it can survive the journey. Yeah. Today, the term Dortmunder now widely refers to stronger lager beers brewed for export, though not necessarily from Dortmund. Hmm. Yeah, they they actually have um, a Dortmunder lager at uh, Braxton right now, and it's, it's mm -hmm. pretty wonderful. Brewed them in the past, I believe this is one of those styles that may use a don't quote me on this, but I'm thinking it's a style that may use an ale-style yeast to produce a lager-style beer. I think it's an ale yeast that's brewed and fermented at lower temperatures. Brittany, I want I want that quote on our website in the show notes. <laughs> you have to put don't quote me on this in front of it, though. No, no. Just Casey's like, no, I authority, like in my expert opinion, I think, and then you give his quote. Nice. Let's do that throughout. <laughs> um, I'm not sure how to say this next one. I'm going to go with Eisbach. Eisbach. Yeah. Sure. Uh, that's the strongest type of Bach. Strong Bach. We're going to say that, yeah. Uh, it's made by chilling a Doppelbach until ice is formed. <laughs> At this point, the ice is removed, leaving behind a brew with a higher concentration of alcohol. Also serves to concentrate the flavors, and the resultant beer is rich and powerful. They pronounce malt sweetness and a warm alcoholic finish. They run at least eight percent ABV. I learned from a distiller friend of mine at one of the Bach meetings recently that this beer is probably illegal for you to produce at home <laughs> because it is a form of distillation. Ah, oh. uh, yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? Don't know exactly the, the you know it was it's hearsay at this point but uh, I, I believe he may be correct on this one um, ice distillation versus some other form of distillation I think it's still all still all illegal yeah that's crazy no wonder you we haven't heard of that very often <laughs> uh, all right <laughs> um so the the next one uh, never I, I want it more now <laughs> right that, yeah. the forbidden fruit. I don't know why this is like a style, but it's, it's light and reduced calorie lager. Uh. So it's recently popular which, um, for the figure conscious society. So they're pale lager styled beers with fewer calories yeah. or sometimes like no calories somehow. I don't know what that's even about. Uh, <laughs> the objective is to maintain flavor while minimizing calories, which is achieved by some brands, uh, despite the implausibility of the proposition. Yeah, I, so is this just like... I like to order light... and I like to order light beers and then just dump lard into them. <laughs> um, light beers, extremely hard to make. I will give, I will give the brewers that. Um, they've got to add like rice and corn to try to get that flavor uh, reduced <laughs> along with the um, the full calorie reduction there. Man, my hat is off to the man that, or woman, or whoever, uh, that that managed to to market light beers to to everyone, not just. I mean, don't feel bad that you're, you know, <laughs> that you're not drinking a full-bodied thing. Just was it Miller? 
I, I think uh, Miller. I think yeah, they put out the first light beer, but they they was like they're marketing beer to women, I believe. Ah, that may be in it. Yeah. Well, now it's like a it's, it's even a manly thing, you know. Everybody yeah. Everyone drink. Yeah. Oh, Mich- Michelob Ultra is like one of the best selling beers at golf courses. Yeah. Um, and where you know there there are likely many women at these golf courses as well, but as we see the the men are probably the predominant. I'm gonna sound I'm gonna sound mildly sexist here. I know like, this has to do with some golf courses that will not let women in. Well, and you were just saying like, yeah, it's it's not predominantly women. I was like, true, but who's getting shit faced on the golf course? Most likely men. Okay. <laughs> Although, if you are a female do- uh, female golfer and you're just getting wasted on a golf course, please send that to our Twitter. We wanna we wanna see those uh, those pictures of you I, on that golf course. I also want you to beat me at golf because that just sounds like a fun day. <laughs> because I could. Or... Oh, I mean, I, I suck at golf, but I enjoy playing it, and watching people get really drunk and play, also fun. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think I've even had that many light beers, but I actually, Michelob, the Michelob Amber is like one of the only ones, and I think it's the Ultra, which is like slightly lower calorie, I guess. That one and like Sam Adams Light are like the only ones I've had that I could actually tolerate. The light beers. <laughs> Maybe somewhere in the back of my mind, I knew Sam Adams. Sam Adams had made a light beer. But it's Sam Adams, and so of course I'm like, oh, of course this is fine. <laughs> I just never re- like in some reason my brain never like it, when you said that I went, they make a light beer. Okay. It's the yeah, it's the one kind. You know, they're not gonna make a light variety of of everything else they have or whatever. But it's it's not it's not bad. You know, if you're gonna go that way. Okay. I, I don't get it, but okay. Well, let's uh let's move on along uh into the Maybach or Palebach category. Uh they're typically full bodied lagers whose alcohol content can vary. Uh it's usually between five and six percent. Uh they can they're usually from like a light bronze to a deep amber, kind of a sweetie sweetie malty kind of thing with just a, a subtle hop which I'm hearing all this going, like my, my mouth is watering, going like, okay, so like a subtle hop, but like a malty, this is my this is my jam right here. Uh, and as its name would suggest, the box style traditionally makes its appearance in May and uh, to celebrate the new brewing season. And, what a yeah. great celebration. <laughs> the first of May, Maybach Brewing starts today. Um, nice. Had to had to thread that needle for that one because uh, sure, <laughs> sure. I almost broke into the song. Uh, but yeah, it's really all about Maybox. I think I'm. I feel like I've had one in the past, but I don't recall it. Um. But it sounds like hearing how they're describing it's making me go and yeah, no, I want this. I want I this in my life. One, I'm not. I wasn't a huge fan when I first tried it, but it's, I think it's been a while too. All right. Well, we've also got uh, one of my another of the, the the types of loggers I do enjoy is the uh, the Munich Hellas, and uh, uh, Hellas is a style of loggering from uh, obviously from Munich, uh, but it's very soft in a round palette with a uh, pale to golden hue. Uh, they tend to be kind of a malt accent, again subtle hops. Uh, a little bit weightier than your standard pale lagers, though uh, 
maybe not quite as heavy as the uh, Dortmund exports. A lot of them still come out of Germany, but you can still find a lot of them here in the U.S. And no, I I had a Hellas. I think I've had like a Moorline Hellas uh, recently that I, I enjoyed. Was it Moorline? I think it was them. I I get Moorline and another brewery confused because uh, their names are, if not terribly similar, just enough that my brain goes, yeah, no, same thing. <laughs> yeah, Moorline definitely has a really popular one too. It, it's probably more line. Uh, and they're a logger house, so that makes sense. Yeah, no. <laughs> the more you know. Uh. So moving on to one of our favorite styles. <laughs> no. Popular in the Colt 45 range. It's malt liquors. Billy uh, D. Williams. <laughs> So a malt liquor is a stronger lager. Um, it's it's one of those that has inside baseball knowledge here. A lot of these breweries will actually brew a lot of these lager breweries will actually brew a malt liquor and then water it down to make their less flavorful versions. So whenever you get a uh, you know whenever you get a a, a Miller sixty four. And um, that's a 64-calorie watery beer. They've made a malt liquor, added water back to it, and they've watered it down. So most of these are going to be high, uh, low in bitterness, uh, high in alcohol, uh, like in the 6% range, and a little bit of that esteriness. Um, but that's the American style. Some strong European lagers adopt this labeling moniker for the U.S. market. So... Here's the thing. This is just for you, Casey. Did you come to my house one time and tape a malt liquor to my hand? Uh, Edward Forty Hands? Yeah. Was it malt liquor that you handed me? It was. I don't think it was malt liquor because we could not find 40s of malt liquor. No, we could find 40s of malt liquor. We couldn't find 40s of better beer than malt liquor. So I think okay. it ended up being like 20, 20 22s of uh, Corona. Close enough. Corona. <laughs> it was Corona and... Uh, uh, What's the the what's the Japanese one that I'm about to call Sabaro? Sapporo. 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 I called Sapporo. I was like, no, that's pizza. Um. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, traditionally um, Edward Forty Hands traditionally played with malt liquor because malt liquor is served in forty ounce containers. <laughs> don't 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 the ones that Kate or uh, Chris and Ian, our other friend, uh just went through in college. Uh, it's called Mickey's. Yes. Fine malt liquor has a little B on it and everything. All I'm, all I'm saying is, kids, don't don't play Edward Forty Hands. You're going to have to pee eventually. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, Mickey's is the little tiny ones, too. Yeah, the little green bottle. Wide mouth so you can chug them quicker, I guess. I don't know. So other than malt liquor, you also have your standard Pell Lager, which is the standard international beer style as personified by products from Miller to Heineken. Uh, the style is a generic spinoff of the Pilsner style. So again, this is a less hoppy, less uh, less flavorful version of that Pilsner style we talked about. Uh, Pell Lagers are generally light to medium bodied. Uh, most of them tend to that extra light, easy drinkable uh, style. Uh, medium 
uh, light to medium hop impression. Again, most going to that light side. And a clean, crisp malt character. Quality, from a flavor point of view, is very variable within the style. <laughs> This is a, an extremely hard beer to make because of the lagering, because of the light flavor. You can't hide any sort of flaws that you've got in this beer. And I'll talk about that when we, we get down to the what you're drinking aspects. But uh, it, if you use any uh, – if you're a cheap example of this and you want to add non-malt alternatives, you know that happens. But here's the thing. Those non-malt alternatives like rice and corn – are used in the you know Budweisers. They're used in the Miller. They're used in the Coors. Those guys that are making really good examples of this style. They may not be really good beers, but they're of this style um, because they want to reduce that flavor even more. They want to make this something that you can drink with uh, any anything you're eating or, or drink all day long or drink on the lawnmower. Uh, don't try that. I feel like that should be. That's probably from. Yeah, uh, but do it. You, you can't. You can get it. You can get a DUI on a lawnmower or a horse, uh, but uh, alcohol content on these is usually low, between 3.5 and 5%, most of them around that 5% ABV, um, with the upper range being preferable as if one is to get a true lager mouthfeel. Hmm. All right, so one that we've already touched on a bit is uh, the Pilsner style, which, we, as, we, as we talked about before, originated in uh, Bohemia, in the Czech Republic. So that's a medium to medium full bodied and uh, characterized by high carbonation and a tang and tangy Czech varieties of hops that may impart floral aromas and a crisp bitter finish. Sometimes a good pilsner, even as hoppy as they can be, sometimes and they're not like, you know, IPA hoppy. No, no. They oh, they could be so nice on a nice warm day. Oh yeah, yeah. It, it's I, I would I wouldn't be surprised if it was like one of the like the second or third most popular thing. Um, so the the hallmark of a fresh pilsner is the dense white head. Um, the alcohol levels must be such as to give a rounded mouthfeel. So it's around five percent usually on a uh, ABV. Classic Pilsners are thoroughly refreshing but delicate and must be fresh to show their best. Um, German Pilsner styles are similar, though often slightly lighter in body, body and color. Which I think those might be a little bit more prevalent. Um, great Pilsners, though, are typically or are technically difficult to make and relatively expensive to produce. Again, it comes back to that that Pilsner malt is a high-quality malt. Um, the way it's made, it's a lower, um, lower color malt. So it's an expensive malt to make. The best malts come from um, Europe, as far as the Pilsner style goes. And so, if you were going to import a traditional Pilsner malt, you would have to import it from uh, Europe. And then, again, with that difficult to produce, you've got to worry about those light flavors showing off any impurities in the beer at all. So the final one on our list, number 14, <laughs> we have the uh, Vienna-style lager and the, uh, this is including them together, uh, Vienna-style and the Merzen or Fest beers. Um, it's a classic amber to red lager, originally brewed in Austria in the 19th century, and it's come to be known just as the Vienna-style. Uh, reddish amber with a very malty 
toasted character and a hint of sweetness. The style of beer was adopted by the Munich brewers in their hands as a noted malty sweetness and toasted flavor with a touch more richness. Um, the use of the term Märzen, which is German for March, implies that the beer was brewed in March and lagered for many months. On a label, the words Fest Märzen or Oktoberfest generally imply the Vienna style. Um, which we covered this a little bit in our Oktoberfest episode. Man, uh, do I love a good Märzen. Yeah. Uh, so Oktoberfest, of course, has become uh, popular as September seasonal brews um, among U.S. craft breweries. There are, oh, a ton of them at this point. Um, but they're not always classic examples of the German or Austrian style. One of the things that's been explained to me is that the Vienna style lager is like Oktoberfest light. Yeah. Um, Oktoberfest has more alcohol, uh, a little bit more flavor. It's just got more in there, um, get people partying, <laughs> versus the Vienna style, which is like step one, the Marzen step one and a half, and the Oktoberfest being step two. Yeah, no, I could see that. The well, there's a little bit more alcohol in there. Get the people polka it. Polka in. <laughs> polka in. That's fun to say. Keep <laughs> drinking. <laughs> um, all right. Well, so that pretty much covers vloggers. There's a lot to digest there. <laughs> we may do some like individual episodes on some of these styles later. Yeah, just a little more in depth. You look at lager beers, and, and basically, if you can find a beer with a certain amount of alcohol, a certain color, and a certain amount of um, a certain amount of hoppiness to it, um, it's going to have a lager and a uh, ale example on both sides of that. Find me the Budweiser ale. Ah, uh, cream ales. Oh, okay. I've you bested me. <laughs> uh, the cream ale, which we we enjoy as long as it's flavored with something other than just the malt. Well, uh, yeah. I but we shall that. we shall talk about El Coco later. I need the El Coco in my life. Well, that is a good good segue if I've ever heard one to what we're drinking. <laughs> El Coco. Drink with me, friend. All right, so mine is, is probably not as exciting, but I'm going to start it off. I didn't pick a lager uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm making up for the last episode when we didn't have any winter beers. So, so next episode you'll be drinking a lager. Right, right. I mean, it, it, obviously. Um, you had one job, Brittany, that was to bring a lager to this, to this gun show. And... I actually specifically saved a beer from like two create-your-own-six-packs ago, and I'm like, oh, no, I need to save this for the, that one episode. So I'm prepared for the next one, but this one I just thought. Um, <laughs> but I was I was so excited because we went out and did like a, a winter palooza, um, create your own six pack land deal that's gonna last us for like two months, and I, I got the Samuel Smith's Winter Welcome Ale. So the style is actually English Strong Ale, and um, as we talked about in the last episode, so that the stuff from uh, the UK and really just a lot of the imports don't have the spices in them like we would expect with a winter warmer. And I'm okay with it on this one. Like, it's been pretty wonderful. Um, I just finished it. 
And I, I have to say, I would highly recommend anyone. It, like, it's just a richer kind of ale, and uh, it doesn't need the spice, honestly. And there's a little bit of a caramel note to it. Uh, I, yeah, I would just, I would highly recommend it. Um, again, so, so it's from Samuel Smith. Uh, it is a, an import. It's a six percent ABV. It's very you good. know, I keep, I keep seeing Samuel Smith's, you know. And I, 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 I hear about them. I was like, I need to go track those down at one of the liquor stores nearby. I still like have my stuff ever. I have my local um, beer store owner, the good beer store that we've got nearby. He was telling me that his Sam Smith was selling really well until I think the packaging changed on one or two of their products, and I actually mentioned organic. And <laughs> and. No one wanted to buy it after the packaging change. I don't know if he ordered something else maybe from them that was organic and the other thing wasn't, but he, he said he was selling cases of it a week. And then whenever it changed to – or he started getting the organic versions of some of the stuff, nothing. wouldn't move. Oh, weird. That, that, speaks yeah. to the, that speaks to the area. <laughs> it, well, does. it does. But uh, yeah, that's the, the funny. Like to the chocolate one, which is probably like the best thing it, it is. It's Samuel Smith's organic chocolate stout, but it's <laughs> – it's amazing. Uh, Missing out. Missing out. So how about you, Bob? Well, uh, before I get into what I'm drinking, I wanted to mention something about what I was drinking last time. Uh, the West 6th uh, uh, Christmas Ale. <laughs> I do still like it, although I may have been a little bit... Like, when we mentioned in the episode letting it get up to about like 40 degrees, I tried that out. That is a spice explosion. Uh, I don't know if you had a chance to try it. We have it in the fridge, but we have not opened it yet. It's Okay, I'm not saying it's bad. All I'm saying is prepare for nutmeg and cinnamon. For some reason last time, I just I couldn't pick them up. I don't know if there's something wrong with my taste buds. But like this last week, I've been going through the rest of that six-pack, and I've just been like, oh, wow, that's, that is spicy. Okay. Anyway, actually more now. So okay, <laughs> full, but just saying, like that's that's my little caveat. Is I, I I wanted to put that in. I should have put that in back up in uh in the our our opening for corrections, but just <laughs> anyway. Uh, today I've been drinking uh the the Vienna Lager. Uh, say it's, it's from Devil's Backbone, Virginia. Uh. It's a uh, Vienna lager, obviously, about five point uh, 5.2% alcohol, and it is it is nice. It's been a nice, crisp sort of sort of drink, kind of like some nice malt flavors in there. Uh, I've been I finished it before the episode ended, which is rare because I usually try to drink something just before so I'll slow down. There wasn't anything stopping me this time. <laughs> I just kept going. That beer is well awarded. Um, yeah, it's it's good. <laughs> it just won in the Great American Beer Festival, the U.S.'s largest uh, yeah. um, beer festival and awards ceremony. It just won gold uh, for the Vienna style lagers, and that beer is is definitely worthy of it. Yeah. Yeah, um, no, I, I agree. I concur with these panel of expert judges. And that's not I, – I, I think it won silver in 2009, gold in 2012, 
Um, World Beer Cup, it's been uh, awarded silver there. So, I mean, it, it continues to win awards. Also, side note, that beer is not distributed in the state of Kentucky. Uh, anybody from Devil's Backbone, uh, please please distribute so I don't have to drive over the state line to come and pick up your beer. And then drop it off in my fridge. <laughs> All right, so you're getting in West Virginia, I'm assuming? Uh, Virginia. Oh. Uh, their actual state. So, yeah, the, the, the local uh, food chain, I don't know, food city, it's Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee – thing, but uh, the Food City carries it in six-packs, 12-packs, and multi-packs, so it's a it's a pretty well-distributed beer in its states that it's actually distributed in. I'll look that up, see if it's in Ohio, at least. I believe it is, actually. Like everything else, it circles Kentucky before it comes to us. Why do they hate me? <laughs> so, on to what I'm drinking, and it's a little bit complicated today. Because I started out with the Shafley. Please tell me that I'm pronouncing this right or wrong. S-C-H-L-A-F-L-Y. I've never been able to pronounce that. Schlafly. Uh, they're Kolsch, which is technically not a lager. It's just lagered, um, an L yeast that's lagered. Um, but I, I poured this into a glass. I had kept it warm for uh, uh, maybe two or three days. Um, not long at all. Just had, had gotten it and not put it in the fridge yet. And I opened this bottle, poured it in my, my glass, and this one's actually soured. It's got a contamination in it, which oh. isn't isn't common of this this brand. I've had them a lot. Uh, you know, it's not something that I normally see with them. Um, but this one definitely had some sort of contamination either in the bottle or. But it has a. It started to foam out of the bottle whenever I first opened it, which was one of the keys of, of a contamination. And then whenever I poured it in the glass and smelled it, it had a sour note on the nose. So I put this one to the side and picked up, which may be a little bit better for tonight's example, the Pilsner Urkel, um, the traditional Pilsen that was brewed in uh, Pilsen, uh, Czech Republic. 4.4% alcohol by volume. This one runs about 40 IBUs. Um, it's a delicious, delicious beer. If you haven't, if you haven't tried it, this is literally one of the classics. Um, you need to try it in order to understand what the Pilsner, the Czech Pilsner style is, or the Bohemian Pilsner. Um, both of them are the Bohemian and Czech uh, mean the same thing. But it has a, a a real Pilsner grainy note, almost like a honey sweetness. Um, the saws hops come through really well, and then that saws bitterness flavor is really good on the tongue. Um, if I wasn't so content with the beer I had drank, I'd be a little bit jealous of you right now. <laughs> yeah, yours yours and mine both win awards, but that one's the most recent, I believe. Oh, yeah, I know, but I'm just like, oh, yeah, no, that Pilsner would be nice. <laughs> <laughs> the fan off in my room, I'm starting to heat up. I'm like, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Creaminess, but crispness is the same. Yeah. I just looked up that uh, Vienna style lager, and it is uh, not even within a hundred miles. <laughs> so, Virginia, huh? Yeah, I'll bring you six packs. In fact, in fact, with the um, the mystery sampler, um, we're going to be we're going to be doing the mystery sampler coming up soon. So, I've got a palette cleansing beer, uh, the Vienna Lager for you with that pack. Uh, you'll know what it is before you drink it. <laughs> All right. 
That's fine. We 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 may have some mystery six packs in our refrigerators that Casey wants us to to start. Start <laughs> trying to ta- to taste test. Yeah, blind tasting, best way to go. We may talk about that. Well, that does it, I guess, for this episode then. Uh, unless anybody has uh, anything else they want to toss out there. Uh, you can follow me at Casey Price on Twitter. There you go. And do uh, you have two Twitter accounts? I do. Um, the uh, the other one I'm I'm working on right now, but uh, the Twitter at Casey Price. If you follow me there, I'll be retweeting all the other stuff, so you'll see it one way or the other. Awesome. Okay. All right. And then we'll uh, we look forward to having you back on to talk about not only the tasting, but um, when we do our other kind of home brewing deal. Yeah. Um, it was funny that we had mentioned like, hey, we should mention, we should have Casey on at least for a little bit because he's got all this stuff he's brewing right now. And then Chris loses his voice. And then yeah. we went, hey, let's have Casey on for the whole thing. It's my, it's my own version of uh, not chemical but biological warfare. <laughs> he did it. <laughs> you just gave him bad beer. Um, <laughs> there we go. All right. Um, so no that, bad beer, just bad brewers. <laughs> Uh, so, all right, everyone, just remember to uh, check us out at haveadrinkshow.com. There you can also find each of our respective untapped profiles. And, of course, we'll, uh, we'll feature Casey's on the, today's show notes, um, and as well as other social links like Twitter, SoundCloud, and Facebook. If you want to tell us your favorite drink, ask a question, or just leave some general feedback, please use the email address feedback at haveadrinkshow.com, which you can also access from the feedback page on the website. As always, we'd like to thank Alan Robinson for the music and Lynn Peralta for the album art. Yeah, and you can find links to their stuff on the episode page on the site. And remember to subscribe to us on your favorite po- favorite podcatcher, and please rate us on iTunes. It really helps spread the word. Please, guys. Please. Please. I'm begging you here. Whatever you want. Uh, the links to subscribes uh, can be found on the site. All right. Uh, just check us out in another couple of weeks for the next episode. Once again, I'm Brittany Lee Walker. I'm Justin Frazier. And I'm not Christopher Walker. (laughs) See you next time. Bye.